Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 723 of the Juicebox Podcast. When Jenny and I pressed record on this Bold Beginnings episode, we thought, this isn't going to take long at all. And it didn't take long, but it didn't, it didn't go as quickly as we thought. What I'm saying is, there was more to get into than we initially considered. And that's why I like these conversational episodes. Today's is about long-acting insulin. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're enjoying Jenny and you'd like to uh, see what she's doing professionally, check out integrateddiabetes.com. That's where she works. If you're a U.S. resident who has type 1 diabetes or is the caregiver of someone with type 1, please go to t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. Join the registry. Complete the survey. Support people living with type 1 diabetes. t1dexchange.org forward slash juice box. At the end of this episode, I'll list all of the Bold Beginnings episodes that have come before it, just in case you uh, have missed one. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by InPen from Medtronic Diabetes. And because this is a short episode, I'm going to give you the entire ad right now. Lickety split, real quick. You ready? The InPen is an insulin pen that connects to an app on your cell phone. When that happens, it gives you much of the functionality that you would get with an insulin pump. It's also completely possible that the InPen may only cost you $35. Head to InPenToday.com to find out more. When you get there, if you're ready to try it, just fill out the form where it says ready to try and hit submit. But if you want to learn more, do some reading. Find out about the pen. Insulin cartridge holder, dosing window, a knob, an injection button, and a cap, just like you would expect from an insulin pen. But then it connects to the app on your phone through Bluetooth, giving you your current glucose levels, meal history, dosing history, activity log, reports, glucose history, the active insulin remaining, and a dosing calculator. Also while, also while you're on the page, in pentoday.com, you can learn more about the offer that is made to people with commercial insurance. Terms and conditions apply, of course, but you may pay as little as $35 for your InPen. You know what else InPen offers? 24-hour technical support, hands-on product training, and online educational resources. All of that is something you can learn about in more depth at InPenToday.com. InPen requires a prescription and settings from your healthcare provider. You must use proper settings and follow the instructions as directed, or you could experience high or low glucose levels. For more safety information, again, visit InPenToday.com. Today's episode is also sponsored by Touched by Type 1. They'd love it if you'd find them on Facebook, Instagram, or at TouchedByType1.org. Jenny, we have on our Bold Beginnings list long-acting insulin. It's a pretty short episode, I think, based on the feedback, but um, based on people's questions and statements about what they thought would have been helpful to know at diagnosis, we're going to include it here. Okay. So, 
long acting <laughs> insulin right away hits my brain wrong because I want to call it basal insulin in my head. Right. Same thing though. Long acting basal. We talk about it all the time. Yep. Um, some examples are Levomir, Lantus, Traceba. Go ahead. Give me more. 2JO, mm-hmm. Basaglar. I'm, yes. Uh, there's also, if you want to include it in the same category in terms of considering long acting and basal as one thing, then we also have to include what was the old version of a basal insulin. And it, we now refer to it as more of an intermediate insulin. Okay. It's N or NPH. It's the kind that looks cloudy in the vial. Um, and that has, it has a shorter life. You have to dose it twice a day, but it's still considered long acting in terms of it covers that basal insulin need, just not as long. I'm realizing as we're talking that this is going to be more than just about long acting insulin. So, um, <laughs> There are places in the country in the world where you may still be given MPH when you're diagnosed. Is that mm-hmm. right? Okay. Absolutely. And, and that, if people are given MPH, are they going to hear the word sliding scale every time? Many times, yes. Okay. Um, because of the way that that intermediate acting N or NPH works, it does. Today's basal insulins are long acting are like a flat scape, right? They're like a horizontal kind of, they go in, they start working and they have a flat impact once they're in a steady rate of action. Whereas the intermediate acting insulins are dosed twice a day because there is a a bell curve or a, a peak in action and then it floats back down and then you take it again and there's a peak in action and then it floats back down. So Sliding scale goes along with that because oftentimes if you're using N or NPH, you're also going to be using the more short acting kind of insulin called regular insulin. It takes a little longer for it to start working, but they're often dosed together Okay. to, to take care of two things. One, mealtime coverage initially and then the long acting insulin or that intermediate N, it's going to peak around the next meal time, or that's the goal of dosing it. So you may have short acting and the intermediate together. The peak of the long or intermediate acting is going to be around a meal time where you may not take extra insulin because that peak is supposed to be covered by your next food intake. Mm-hmm. And thus the term sort of sliding scale, take this much. If your blood sugar is between this value and this value, this number of units of insulin, it's, it's not precise. It requires you to get some information from the doctor prescribing that designates a specific amount of food to eat at each mealtime. Because those that sliding scale is specific to an amount of food to cover or an assumed amount of food to cover. And if you vary from that, you're going to have more erratic glucose control. Can I ask you why in 2022 would people be um, given that insulin still? Depends where you are in the world. Okay. I mean, we live in a very, I mean, we have a community here in the United States that is... We complain about what we can get, 
but we can really get, uh, we have, we shouldn't have complaints compared to third world countries and and places that just really, I mean, they may not even have a a glucometer to use in their own home. Right. Well, even even beyond that, I still hear from people in some provinces in Canada (laughs) who are given MPH when they're diagnosed and sliding scale and told, shoot it at this time of day eat this many carbs at this time of day. And that's, I mean, that really is management. Like you're saying, based on modern management now, that's managed from the 80s. Yes. That was my management. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's my management. like, I did it. Um, (laughs) I did it. (laughs) But but it leaves you you open to a lot of, I think, unknown. Like, I can't imagine doing like a regular and MPH regimen and wearing a CGM. Because you'd probably see your blood sugars get pretty high, stay high, come down low, get low, like the whole thing. I I believe that there would be a lot of frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, another reason that in, again, a good number of the people that I get to work with are pregnant women, right? Mm-hmm. And there are still some OB practices that move towards the potential use of the N or the NPH at a specific time of day to cover a hormone impact that may not be being offset the right way, even if the woman is on a pump or we've navigated by adjusting doses and everything, because the short action time of that N gives the allowance for peaking at the point of where you want more insulin, really heavy hitting. And sometimes it can be a beneficial added tool in that particular, you know, population. Right. But but if I'm just a, a person diagnosed now, modern times, and somebody's like, here's, it's regular and MPH, and you're going to eat on a sliding scale, that's a red flag to me, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, <laughs> yes. I, I don't think we give, like, a lot of, it's funny, I don't think of this as an advice-driven podcast at all. Like, I never think to say, like, to somebody, like, don't, but if somebody says that to you, if you want my opinion, either tell the doctor, I want more modern insulins, like the ones we're going to talk about in a second. And if the doctor doesn't know what you're talking about, you're looking for another doctor. Move on. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because especially if, and this again is speaking to the terms of access, right? What people with good healthcare coverage and whatnot do have access to, you should not be being put on and NPH and and regular insulin from the get-go, you should have the option to do a much more flat-acting insulin. And the oldest on the market is Lantus at this point, followed pretty closely by Levamir. Um, And then the newer ones are the 2JO and the Traceba and the Bezaglar and, you know. um, And we're going to talk about them now. I'm just going to add here, if for financial reasons, you're on regular NPH, I mean, Jenny's talking to you right now, many years later after using it, it can be done. It's just not, it's not a preferred method at this point. So if you can get away from it. Yeah. And the biggest thing there is a little bit more scheduled to your day. Mm -hmm. Can it be done? Absolutely. It can be done and it can be done with success. Um, If that's the case, then I, you know, encourage trying to figure out a set structure to where you put your food in the day, because that's how your insulin is working. How much, I don't mean to get off on a uh, like a personal conversation here. It's too long, but how much of your, like you're a, um, I think of you as a person who eats without trouble. Like, I don't think of you as a person who eats healthy foods and is like bemoaning it the whole time or does what they're supposed to do. And they're like, I really wish this was a flaming hot Cheeto. You know what I mean? Like, so, 
<laughs> I, 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 which I tried once, and I, I don't understand why you people like those, but that, that's okay. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is how much of your regiment as a child do you think impacts your eating style now? It has to, right? Absolutely. No, that's a, it's a great question. It's a mm. question I've been asked a number of times otherwise. Mm. Um, I think it influenced a lot. And I think it influenced a lot because that was what my parents had to go by. The, I mean, the information was like, this is like the Bible to follow, right? right? You will feed your child and get her up at this time and dose her insulin. She will have a snack here. It can be these types of, of foods. And it was figured out according, I mean, you know, my, my macro needs based on my growing body, Mm -hmm. it was figured out in that realm from a dietitian standpoint, as well as from a diabetes need standpoint. Um, And I think a lot of that definitely moved me into kind of where I am today. I mean, as it is, I still get up. I am quite certain that the reason I'm an early riser is because I had to take my insulin in the morning at a very specific time because my evening insulin was also a very specific time and it had to be like 12 hours apart. And my parents were very strict about, you know, so I still get up early. Your health now is a, is a testament to their taking that sliding scale seriously and, and, and really sticking to it. But it just occurred to me now, I was like, Oh, that's probably why you're regimented. You're a regimented person because of that, You, you know? Um, Okay, so that's also re- just my personality, and wherever it came from, I don't know. Well, I'm, <laughs> but yes, but but your parents obviously were regimented to some degree too, because they were able to put it into. I mean, listen, someone came along they're like, "Hey, your kid's got all this stuff," and they're like, "No problem. I'll have her up at six oh three. She'll be eating at six forty five. It's going to be yes. seventeen and a half carbs, you know, and we'll inject yes. this, and it's gonna." I interviewed a guy the other day who grew up with a type one dad back in the was dad was born in the diagnosed in the fifties. So it was a long, Ah. long time ago. And he said, one of the things he remembers and almost resents from childhood is that they had to eat at the exact same time dinner every night. So it didn't matter if he was playing, everybody else would be like, Oh, come in later. He's like, we had to eat because of my dad. Yeah. um, But I think it helped eventually. I mean, my dad was diagnosed with type two diabetes later, you Mm -hmm. know, in life I was in college once he was diagnosed. Um, And I think that sort of helped my mom move into that management with and for my dad, too. So she probably didn't have she was probably like, oh, this will be easy. Right. (laughs) She's like, I got this. Hold on. Let me get out my old books and ledgers. Um, But but so, okay, so you're diagnosed. Hopefully you don't get MPH in regular. Hopefully you get some sort of a modern basal or long acting insulin. Um, Jenny just went over them. Levermere and Lantis are the older ones. Uh, Tugeo and uh, Tracebo and Basilar are, yep. are the newer ones. Um, depending on which one you get, their action times are going to work differently. So the story I always tell is that Arden got. It's funny now that I think about it. Arden got Lantis and it burned, so they moved. Uh-huh. So they moved her to Levermere. And I remember being told that either Atlantis or Levermere definitely lasts for 24 hours, blah, blah, blah. This is how it works. You inject it once a day, and 24 hours later, you inject it again. But we were seeing these highs on the Levermere about 18 hours after she injected basal. And that's the first time somebody told me, oh, you should try splitting your basal insulin, putting mm-hmm. in some of it now and some of it 12 hours later to keep the coverage um, more even. 
that was a big deal for us when she was MDI, mm-hmm. you, you know, splitting that levomere. But yep. now the more modern ones, you like, I know you don't, you're not in favor of splitting Lantis, right? Personally? I'm not personally in favor of it. I've had probably le- definitely less than a handful of people that it did seem to work okay and and better for but in general no the lantis the tujeo the you know traceba all of those they are definitely supposed to be a 24 hour acting insulin right some people do find that lantis doesn't quite get them to that 24 hour mark mm-hmm. that it sort of legs off maybe somewhere after about 20 hours and they have a little bit of potential need for more insulin. And that may be accomplished by just adjusting the dose of the rapid acting insulin. If a meal falls within that time to make up for that little bit of deficit before you retake it. Mm -hmm. Um, But the newer insulins definitely, especially Traceba, Traceba has a a definite 24 hour and often in other, in many people, it actually has a longer lingering effect. So I've anecdotally heard a few people who split Lantus and say it works, but you are mm-hmm. very steadfast that, uh, about saying that you don't. So Levamir, sure, you could split it if you don't think you were getting 24 hours. It worked for us. Lantus, Many people need to split Levamir. Right. Lantus, maybe not. Now, those others, definitely no. Yeah, they're just a no. Don't split Traceba. Don't, none of those. They, Listen, you're saying they they last 24 hours. I hear from people who say that it feels like it overlaps into the second day sometimes. Correct. Right. Yeah. yeah. In fact, it in um I worked with a couple of like high school athletes, boys who were MDI, chose to be MDI for a number of reasons. And we worked it out, um, you know, to the point that we could navigate. But what we ended up finding was that with the dose of Traceba, um, they actually needed a titration down in the dose mm-hmm. by the end of a full week of athletic overlap oh. because there was so much overlap of the traceba and the activity factor that they were running in the toilet almost able to eat without bolusing for meals days by the, the week. end of the week because of the, because of oh. the action. Oh, isn't that interesting? Um, so, so here's the thing. These are all injectable insulins. If you're MDI or using an insulin, you know, or a pen or syringes, it doesn't matter which way, multiple daily injections. If you're using, you know, Mm -hmm. needles and not uh, an insulin pump. So if you're using, again, like with the MPH, if somebody says, hey, here's MPH, say, please don't, please give me more modern insulin. And if someone says to you, hey, here's Levomir, go, please don't. Can I have a more (laughs) modern basal insulin, please? Um, Yes. You you know, it's going to make things easier because basal insulin, long-acting insulin, whatever your doctor is going to call it, is a background insulin that is working on basically its job is body functions, right? Body functions that try to push up your blood sugar. It's trying to keep you stable somewhere. It's got. It should have nothing to do with how you're impacting your food in a perfect situation. You don't. You know. You inject it once a day. It kind of think of it as time release. It kind of stays in your body and slowly Mm -hmm. gives off itself and works over these hours. It's, it's really, really important. And if you go back and listen to other episodes of this podcast, you dig into the pro tip series or any of the other stuff, you're going to hear me, Jenny, anybody who's talking about it, say basil first, 
You have to get your basal right or other things are not going to work. And so these first couple leaps, you have to get past. Are you giving me Levomir or are you giving me Traceba? Are you, and by the way, right. I, I don't know who makes there's there are different companies and et cetera, and you might have to work a little bit to find the insulin that works best for you. Um, I don't care which one you use. I'm just saying you're going to have different expectations depending on which drug you have. Correct. If you don't have your basal correct, it's going to impact everything else. It's going to impact mm-hmm. bolusing for meals. It's going to impact sleeping, activity. It's going to mess with everything. Yeah, um, it's it's like building the foundation of your house out of straw instead of out of concrete, yeah. right? We need a nice stable base and that stable yes. base is your long acting or basal insulin. Yeah. Now, some statements from people. Um, correcting overnight or splitting my basal insulin was a huge help. So they were, it sounds like they were correcting, they were probably shooting their basal in the morning and by the late night, it wasn't working as much it was anymore. Gone. So they were mm-hmm. using corrections, which now that's not long-acting insulin. That's fast-acting insulin or meal insulin, which you may hear it called, like Novolog, Apidra, Fiasp, uh, Lumjev. Humalog. Humalog. Yeah, I never mm-hmm. think of Humalog for some reason, uh, which is weird. And um, so then this person realizes, oh, I don't have to correct or bolus in the evenings if I just get my basal insulin right. Yeah. Next person says... I wish I would have known the onset of action and the duration of action from my long acting. Considered splitting if appropriate, some long acting insulin. So they're making our point for us. Um, Since newly diagnosed will be MDI, a nutshell summary of long and short acting insulin, perhaps with the emphasis on how basal insulin impacts everything. So these these are people who listen to the podcast are like, if this is what I wish I knew now that I knew before. Yep. Um, okay, so well, let us dig into that for just a second here. Uh, a nutshell summary. We, I think we've kind of done it. Long-acting insulin, basal insulin, the ones we mentioned. Short-acting yes. insulin, meal insulin, again, the ones we mentioned. But what are they for? Basal insulin, again, is a base. It's a stability for your body function, you know, other stuff. Meal insulin is there to correct a high blood sugar or to combat food that you're eating. Correct. That's it, right? Yes, okay. absolutely. All right. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the most frequently confused things at the beginning of diagnosis is basal and bolus. Is basal and bolus, yeah. yeah. And I think the words are, again, they're really clinical words. If we just broke it down to say, this is what this kind of insulin I'm prescribing is going to do for you. You must take it every day at about the same time every single day because it's going to give you this background coverage that has nothing to do with food or anything else. You need it because your pancreas would be dripping this all day long. Mm-hmm. You know, and then the other explanation just being this one is going to work when you choose to eat food. If you don't eat, You don't take it unless you're high. And then here is your correction scale, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. It's just over the years, all the words have been co-opted. You know, people explain them out and said, oh, correction insulin. That is a good way to think of it. I'll call it that instead of calling it bolus insulin or mealtime insulin. And you'll the the truth is, I don't know, Jenny, a couple of months into this, that's all going to make sense to you. Right. Like we're talking about it now. Like we're just like, you know, how green is grass and blue is the sky. Everyone knows. Right. Right. But when you're first diagnosed, you're like basal, bolus, long acting, short acting. 
Tresiva, who names these when, things? <laughs> right. When do I take which? In fact, for newly diagnosed, I often recommend when you get those prescriptions home, make sure you read how to take them, when to take them. And in the refrigerator, put a note on them, a sticky note, something that specifically says, this is your right away 6 a.m. in the morning, long acting insulin. This is my take with food, correct blood sugar insulin. And as long as you need to keep those sticky notes on there until it clicks in your head, Mm -hmm. which one is for what, keep them on there. I mean, once a month without fail in the Facebook group, there is a long thread where someone says, Hey, I took the wrong insulin. I took the wrong insulin. What do I do? And it always goes this way. It never goes the easy way. It never goes, I meant to take four units for a meal and I put in four extra units of basil. It's my basil's 20 units and I just took <laughs> I just took 20 units of Novolog instead of 20 units of Lambda. Yes. And yes. what do I do? Beautiful. Watch people come in. They talk them through it real quickly. Do the math. 20 units. I know it sounds like a lot. How many carbs covers 20 units? It's snack time, you know, like that, right? th- that kind right. of thing. And and people, I watch them get each other through it. It's really, it's, it's really, mm-hmm. kind of, it's beautiful. And but- at, at some point, I mean, to delve down the rabbit hole a little bit, at, honestly, at some point, there will hopefully be um, microdose glucagon. Mm-hmm. That would help in an instance like that mistake that, you know, nobody intended to do, but that you wouldn't have to end up eating 200 grams of carb to offset what you did accidentally, right? (laughs) That, oh, I can do this much glucagon and this will take care of this much of it. And right. Without eating a pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream or something like that to (laughs) fight it back. (laughs) So now here's the thing, right? You're newly diagnosed. This all is probably what you're hearing because you're MDI. But long-acting insulin, when you move to an insulin pump, if you move to an insulin pump, will be replaced. You will not use, with a pump, you will not use long-acting insulin anymore. You'll use short-acting, meal insulin, bolus insulin in your pump, and your pump will replicate a basal program for you, giving you tiny little bits constantly throughout the day to create so instead of you kind of putting in that quote-unquote time-release basal insulin and it being let go, you know, pharmaceutically, it's going to go into a pump and be let go mechanically. Correct. Right? Think of your pump like your pancreas, honestly. Yeah. Your pancreas doesn't use two kinds of insulin. It uses the same type of insulin that those little beta cells pop out and it does it for different reasons, mm-hmm. right? So the pancreas or the, the the pump is going to do the same thing. You use one kind of insulin, but in a different way. And here's Dripped where- in versus big dose in. Right. And here's where you start gaining, you know, if you ask me what the difference between pumping and MDI is, the first thing I think of is having agency over the basal program and being able to yes. change it. So earlier in this episode, Jenny used an example of young guys, athletes who were on MDI- who have a basal, uh, an amount of basal they're shooting Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, but because their activity is getting greater and greater as the week goes, the truth is that, that their basal needs get lesser at the end of that active week. If you were on a pump, you could, I'm just going to make up numbers, you could be using one unit an hour on Mondays, one unit an hour on Tuesdays, and Wednesdays 0.8, Thursdays 0.7, right? And Correct. To, to to, to make adjustments based on what you know that activity was going to do. Right. Um, I'm not trying to tell you you have to have a pump. I think any way you manage is, is great if it works for you. 
but you do get more control over your basal profiles once you're on a pump. And it is really amazing. And and if you ever get past regular pumps into algorithm-based pumps, you can really start seeing how manipulation of basal creates the precision comes in yeah even yeah much clearer because you go it's funny we kind of made a timeline here i want to say by mistake but i was kind of thinking about it so i'm gonna take (laughs) take a little bit of credit but um but from the mph to the more modern basal insulins to the idea of pumping to the idea of algorithms it's just all those things are different levels of insulin being used in the correct amount at the correct time. Right. That's and it's an evolution, definitely. I mean, what you're talking about is a is a movement forward from what was to what we have the opportunity to use now. Mm-hmm. And I think it's interesting having lived, you know, 34 years with with diabetes, I have evolved through all of this. Now, I didn't start that with like boiling my needles and only peeing on a urine strip. Thankfully, I had some technology at my hands when Mm -hmm. I was diagnosed. But um, I feel like I've lived through a lot of the the true technology shift and change. Um, And it's it's amazing. It really is. So So I'm going to I'm going to recap, which I don't ever do. Someone gives you MPH, go, mm, can I please have more modern insulin? Someone gives you, sorry, uh, pharmaceutical companies, although I don't, I'm not, I don't apologize to a pharmaceutical company. They're doing, <laughs> they're, they're doing okay. Um, you know, if someone gives you Levermere Atlantis, say, could I get something more modern than this? Once right. you've got that figured out, if there's more that you want, well, then you're probably interested in an insulin pump. Right. And after you have an insulin pump and you understand how that works, you might be interested in an algorithm. So yep. this is, and I don't know what comes after algorithm. I don't, maybe a truly closed loop system like that requires loop. very little thinking other than, oh, it's the day that I have to put on my new pump and fill it up with insulin. Here you go. So in your mind, is that like a dual chamber with glucagon and insulin? That's what it would have to be, yeah. um, honestly, for it to truly work the best way possible. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Well, if you're just diagnosed, don't bother thinking about that yet. <laughs> I've, been hearing, I've been hearing people talk about that for 10 years and I don't think we're anywhere near it. So just <laughs> learn the basics, yeah, yeah. learn the basics. Just, just, just be happy. You understand your insulin today and go about your yes. business. All right. Thank you very much. Jenny. Cool. Absolutely. Cool. All right. So we got that one out of the way. I just, as I was reading it, I was like, there's way more to this than what the people asked. Well, so. and it's good to have brought in, I was hoping that you would bring in the fact of pumps because we refer to basal bolus in a pump, but it it's a it's a change in mindset. I don't know how many people ask, even in today's world, when they're starting on a pump with me, they're like, well, when do, do I still keep taking my basal insulin at the same time? I'm like, yep, nope, put it in the fridge, put a sticky note on it that says, do not touch. Done with this now. Um, Done, oh, yes. I mean, I told you the story recently, right? Of, of I, I don't mean to use her twice in the same series, but a woman who had had diabetes for like 40 years. And yes. I, I asked her about her basal insulin and she told me the wrong insulin. It's, yeah. you know, that's that's something else. I mean, that's, that's, that's yeah. the basic stuff there. We need... um. We need to understand that. Well, and that also speaks, unfortunately, to whoever her practitioner is, has clearly not asked enough in terms of discussion that's a back and forth discussion to hear that this person was completely missing or misunderstanding or whatever it was. I mean, 
that should have been addressed in a clinician's office. Yeah. You know, we're still recording, Jenny, just because I didn't stop it. But and this is going to come up later in this series about picking medical help. Mm -hmm. But there there is definitely something to be said for that. Like not everybody knows what the hell they're talking about and it doesn't stop them from talking. You know, so here you are, newly diagnosed. You don't know what's happening, and you take everything as gospel. I'll, you know, my my little story about insulin that I'll add at the end of this episode is that Arden uses a Pedra. It works really well for her. Um, but we were given Novolog mm-hmm. in the hospital, which is fine. But the point is, is that when someone handed me Novolog and said, here, this is insulin, I thought, well, this is insulin. There's right. no, this is it. There's no other insulin. Right. Insulin is just insulin, why, right? The why? word insulin indicates one thing. I, I even think it's ridiculous when we're rattling off all the names of different insulin. Like, how many of these do we need exactly? But, you know, like, it, I just thought Novolog is insulin. It's for her meal times or her corrections. And when Novolog didn't work as well for Arden as it did for other people, it never occurred to me that I could just say, can I try a different insulin, please? You, you right. Know, and it, because that's the, I mean, to somebody's point earlier about having something drilled in your head in the 1515 episode, um, it was, it, it just, I believed them. Like a person in a white coat handed me an Ovalog and said, this is insulin. And my brain just said, okay, you know, right. and then that stops you from asking questions. Yeah. You know? Yeah, so. absolutely. And I think, I think there too is the word insulin and it really encompasses a lot. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot to understand about it as we've just talked about. Um, I mean, my understanding of insulin definitely shifted once I had done my own research when rapid insulin came onto the market and I was reading more and learning more myself. And I went to my own doctor and I said, Hey, I have to take my insulin like 45 minutes before I can start to eat. This doesn't work with my life. There's this fancy new, (laughs) more rapid acting insulin. Can I please get a prescription for it? My doctor was like, sure, here's your Humalog, right? Mm -hmm. And before that, I had been using R. I mean, that dramatically changed and my doctor knew about it, but I don't know that my doctor would have brought it up. Right. No, of Which, course not, because it's working. And why? By the way, did you ask that question with a perm? Did you have a perm when you were saying that? Um, <laughs> I actually way up in the air. <laughs> well, I actually have naturally curly hair, so I've not ever had a perm. Wait, is your hair straightened? It's straightened right now. Oh, yeah, I never think of it that way. But it's, it's naturally curly. Otherwise, well, yeah. And to your, to, you know, to tack onto that idea. Um, the loom jab. But I did have the big big bangs. Did you have big metal hair? <laughs> did you have metal hair at any point? Um, I guess maybe that. I don't know that it was metal hair. I, I don't think my dad would let me leave the house looking like that, quite honestly. But okay. I had the big bangs, like the get it up there. <laughs> a lot of girls I grew up with looked like that they put their finger in a socket. And when their hair shot up in the air, they just sprayed it there. <laughs> it's good. <laughs> and all of us had mullets at some point or another. Um, <laughs> But uh, what was I going to say? Oh, Fiaspin and Lumjev, uh, meal mm-hmm. time, mealtime insulins that that have a quicker onset. Um, yes. If they work for you, it, that makes Jenny's point, right? Jenny used to have to take regular and MPH, wait 45 minutes to eat. Somebody gave her Humalog, and suddenly you only had to wait, what, 20 minutes to eat maybe, right? Yep. And we'll talk about this in the pre-bolus episode that's coming up. But at the same time, Fiaspin, Lumjev, more modern, fast-acting insulins, they hit even quicker. 
And, yeah. you know, and who knows what comes next? I, I always think about um, when I was first getting into this interviewing people, I think I was talking to Aaron from the JDRF and he said, we need faster acting insulins and better cannula material. And I thought like, huh, that's interesting. You know, like what he's seeing the other part, like because your cannula from your pump to, to explain that idea um, looks like a foreign body to your to your body. Yes. So it kind of gets attacked by white blood cells. Eventually it, it, it can stop the insulin from working as well as you want. It could bring uh, what? Um, not infection, but just inflammation to the area, inflammation, which mm-hmm. slows down the, the absorption of the anyway. Aaron's like, we need better cannula material and faster acting insulin. And those are two things. You wouldn't think to pray for at night when you went to bed, but if you have diabetes. Real, and smarter yeah. insulin. I mean, it's yeah. interesting from a JDRF perspective. It was years ago when I attended a JDRF, it was like a scientific presentation yeah. an evening. And there was a gentleman from the East coast. I think he was somewhere in the Boston area, um, a scientist who had done enough studies to get it to the animal-based study of insulin that had almost an on off switch or a thermometer, if you will, Mm -hmm. that you injected it. I believe it was once a day. And that dose allowed your glucose level to stay within a determined target range, turning on when it was climbing and going above that turning off when it was falling and coming down to the lower end of the target. Yeah. Which well, make no mistake. That's the, that's the golden chalice right there, you know? Right. Yeah. It, yeah. I mean, and we can stop doing this podcast and I, I have bad news for all the pump companies. You're out of business too. Uh, you and know, I will but- be living on the beach in Tahiti. <laughs> well, probably not. Cause that's pretty expensive. But. <laughs> Jenny's like, I'm taking whatever money I made telling people about diabetes. And I'm going to the warmest place I can find. And I'm riding the rest of this thing out. So you know, read books and yes. <laughs> does it, I, I'm going to let you go, but it, it feels like that, right? Like if somebody just took diabetes away, you'd be like, I've done enough for one lifetime. I'm good. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I, if there, if there, where there is a need in diabetes, I, I hope that I can continue to work and help. But if there is ever something that comes out, that's like, nope, people don't have to think anymore. You still have to eat your food and drink your water and get exercise. But here it is. I'll be like, fantastic for everybody <laughs> the big mic drop jenny's like i'm out of here you get, get in the car or you're not coming because i'm leaving <laughs> excellent all right thank you yeah. so much a huge thanks to inpen from medtronic diabetes for sponsoring this episode of the juice box podcast inpentoday.com to get started or to learn more Thanks also to Jenny Smith, who works at integrateddiabetes.com. If you're interested in uh, procuring her services, that's where you would do it. I also want to thank you for listening, for sharing the show, and for being terrific. The other day, I received a photograph from the ninth listener who's bought a vanity plate for their car for the Juicebox podcast. That is, um, that's some cool listeners and some great dedication from you. Thank you so much. If you head over to the private Facebook page, which I'll do right now with you, Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes, get yourself in there, scroll to the top, click on Featured. Isabel has all the lists set up for you, pro tip series, variables, etc. One of those lists, 
is the Bold Beginning series. I will read from it. Episode 698 defines the Bold Beginning series, lets you know what we're planning on doing with it. Episode 702 is about honeymooning. 706, adult diagnosis. 711, terminology part one. 712, terminology part two. Episode 715 is fear of insulin. And episode 719 is the 1515 rule. And of course, in this episode, we talked about long acting insulin. There's also a list there for defining diabetes. That's 44 episodes of terms defined for you that you use every day with type 1 and type 2 diabetes very often. How about a nine episode series talking about celiac and type 1? Or a 10 episode series about disordered eating? 19 episodes dedicated to just me talking with kids. Lots of interviews with me and the children. 26 episodes excuse me, 27 episodes after dark series, everything from drinking to disordered eating, psychedelics, living with bipolar, people who have type 1 diabetes, and other extraordinary challenges often will be found in the after dark series. There's a 411 list called Juice Box Assistant that has 16 very popular episodes in no particular order. How about a 14 episode series about algorithm based pumps? From Loop to Omnipod 5, Control IQ, and there's way more coming in that series very soon. You can learn how to bolus for fat and protein. And there are so many Ask Scott and Jenny episodes where Jenny and I just answer listener questions. There is a growing list about mental wellness in Type 1. Many of the episodes are with licensed marriage and family therapist Erica Forsyth, a Type 1 herself. We have a small but 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 strong list of type twos. I really would like more of you to reach out to be on the show. Always looking for type twos to be on the show. Please reach out if you're interested in coming on and building that series up for others. Defining thyroid is a 10-episode series that will help you understand thyroid disease. And our pregnancy list has just grown, no pun intended, to 12 episodes. There's a How We Eat series where people come on to talk about their eating style, carnivore, plant-based, low-carb, Bernstein, FODMAP, keto, flexitarian, intermittent fasting, vegan. That list is also on the move, looking for more people to come on and talk about how they eat. There's a quick start guide. Episodes from episode four all the way up to episode 100. These are the episodes people say, if you listen to, you'll get a vibe for how I feel about type one, and it gets you into the podcast. And that's the quick start list. Don't miss the Diabetes Variable Series, 22 episodes, giving you looks into things that impact your blood sugar that you would never think of, like hydration, sleep, weight gain, and more. And of course, the Diabetes Pro Tip Series, 25 episodes with Jenny and I, starting at episode 210, newly diagnosed or starting over, taking you through all the steps that I believe will help you bring your A1C to where you want it to be. I hope you check them out. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast.